the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good evening and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch. If you've been searching for a place to be spiritually fed, you've found it. Like you, we believe the Holy Bible contains the spiritual nourishment we need to become faithful servants to God and help grow His kingdom here on earth. This program is part of an outreach ministry from Shepherd Church. Our pastor is Dudley Rutherford, and we join him right now with his message for us tonight. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 10, it has a list for us of the 12 disciples. This was a band of ragtag followers. Not one of them would we have chosen, you and I, had we attempted to change the entire world. We know that four of them were fishermen. We know that several of them were Galileans. Uh, Thomas was a skeptic. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a traitor to the Jewish people. Simon the Zealot was a murderous revolutionary. And Judas, of course, was a, a, a traitor and a sellout to Jesus. And yet, these are the 12 that he chose. This is an amazing story of how Jesus is going to start this new kingdom with these kingdom principles, with a goal to take a gospel to the entire world. And who does he pick? Who does he choose? A group of guys who at best had zero potential. Small, write this down. Small, if any ability, any of them. And all of this is good news for us. This is good news for us. Because if Jesus could use people like that, then Jesus can use anybody who's listening this very moment. You see, it's not your ability that counts. It's your availability that counts. It's a fact that most of the people that God chose to use in the Bible were people who had genuine flaws. Moses had a speech issue. Abraham was old. Rahab uh, was immoral. David was a murderer. Mary was a teenager. Nehemiah was living in obscurity. Peter cussed a lot. Samson was a womanizer. Solomon was a polygamist. Elijah lived in depression. Hosea married a prostitute. John the Baptist had terrible fashion sense. Martha was a busybody. Saul hated and persecuted Christians. And yet, these are the people that God chose. These are the people that God used. You say, why would he choose people like that? Well, that's a good question. I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. I want you to look around the room that you're sitting right now. Do you see anybody of noble birth? Do you see Prince Harry or Prince William sitting there in your house? I don't think so. Verse 27, 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Verse 28, he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. You uh, have become for us the wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And here it is, verse 31. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the what? Boast in the Lord. That's, That's why he chose us, those of us that the world may be cast aside so that when our lives turn out right, and God ends up using us in a great way that we have no choice not to boast in ourselves. We have no hope except to just boast in what the Lord has done in our life. Jesus called an eclectic group of run-of-the-mill country bumpkins. None of them went to Ivy League school. None of them had a Bible college degree. None of them uh, fit the mold of a rising religious star. Uh, Really, the only one of the 12 that had any potential was probably Judas. From the world's perspective, he might have been the most promising of the 12. He had a keen business mind. He had contacts in high places. He was a networker. He was financially shrewd. He was motivated and he was ambitious. And yet, he was the first of the 12 to turn his back on Jesus for a few pieces of silver. For Jesus to leave his entire ministry in the hands of these 12 ordinary men was a gutsy move. What if they failed? There was no plan B. What a risk that Jesus took. And yet here we are 20 centuries later, he's doing it again. He's leaving his work, his ministry in our hands. We're just normal people, run-of-the-mill people, humble on our knees asking God to use us and I know that if God used those 12 disciples to help kickstart the kingdom of God that God can and will use you and me to continue his kingdom here on this earth during this specific time that we're facing the challenges as a nation and all God's people said amen Amen and amen my third point is this Jesus was an orthodox in his teaching he was an orthodox in the disciples that he chose. But number three, he was unorthodox in how he came to save. And I want you to put your thinking caps on for this. Most interesting, write this down. Jesus, when he came, he fulfilled. Everybody say the word fulfilled. He fulfilled all the Old Testament in its prophecies concerning a Messiah. I want you to say the word Messiah. Jesus was an orthodox in the way that he came to save. Again, he's not like a normal person. God uh, used his son Jesus who came to fulfill all of the prophecies in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a book of prophecy. The Old Testament is a book of predictions. And it predicts, if you read through the Old Testament, it predicts that one day there will come what's called the coming of a Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled the old testament prophecies matthew 5 verse 17 jesus said these words do not think that i've come to abolish the law or the prophets i have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them and verse 18 jesus said i tell you the truth 
until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. He's talking about the old law. Will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What is he saying? He's saying that he himself, Jesus, is a fulfillment of every Old Testament prophecy concerning the coming of a Messiah. Do you want to know the key to understanding the entire Bible? I want you to write this down. It is to look for Jesus in every single book. Jesus is the hero of the entire Bible. If you read the Bible and you don't see Jesus, you need to read it again. And you keep reading it until you see Jesus in every book. The Bible has, the Bible has one villain, one villain, that is Satan. The Bible has one problem, and the problem is sin. The Bible has one solution to sin, and that's called salvation. And there's only one hero that can bring salvation, and his name is Jesus. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. There are 27 books in the New Testament. Let me say that again. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. If you take 3 and 9 and multiply them, 3 times 9 is 27, you'll know how many books are in the New Testament. If you can remember the number 39. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. To all together, that is 66 books in the Bible. And all 66 books point to Jesus. Write this down. The Bible is a Jesus book. Someone will say to me from time to time, Pastor, have you ever read the four Gospels? I say, yes, I've read all 66 of them. Because all of the books in the Bible point to Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, let me give you a couple of verses. Luke chapter 24, verse 27. This is after the resurrection. This is right before the ascension. Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. And there are two disciples, and he begins to talk to these two disciples. And the Bible says, beginning with Moses, and all, say the word all, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus tells the disciples on the road to Emmaus that all of the scriptures were there to explain the coming of a Messiah. In John chapter 5, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish crowd who do not, they do not believe that he's the Messiah. They don't believe it. And Jesus says in John 5 verse 39, you diligently uh, study the scriptures because you think that by the scriptures you will possess eternal life. And then Jesus says these words, these are the scriptures that testify about me. All of the scriptures prophesy concerning a Messiah, and Jesus says in telling them that he is the Messiah. God has no program, no plans, and no purposes that ultimately do not center around the Lord Jesus Christ and him being the Savior, the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures. I want you to think about this. Jesus is so unique. He's the only person ever born into this world that before he was born, this is before he was born, his ancestry, his birth, his forerunner, his birthplace, his infancy, his manhood, his teaching, his preaching, his rejection, 
his reception, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, all of his life was prophesied centuries before he was even born. Hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah, Jesus fulfilled every one of them. But my second point, he came to fulfill the Old Testament not only in its prophecies, but he came to fulfill the Old Testament in its purpose. And I really, I need you to stay with me. Don't give up on me, okay? Just, just stay with me. There are three things about the law in the Old Testament. Write this down, number one. The law cannot save. All that Old Testament, the law cannot save. The Ten Commandments cannot save. There's more than Ten Commandments. There are 613 commandments. None of those 613 commandments in the Old Testament can save. I want you to write this down. The law only condemns because no one can keep those laws. The Bible says if you break, if you break one commandment, that you're guilty of breaking all of them. You say, well, what does that mean? I look at the Ten Commandments, I, like, I, I do eight of them. I do nine of them. I, I have one that I, I break from time to time. Well, then you are a lawbreaker. Imagine you're holding on to a chain that has ten iron links to it. There's ten, ten links to this chain. And if one of those chains break, that you fall into a place called hell. So you're trusting in your salvation by obeying, by following all of those Ten Commandments. And if you break one, you end up in a place called hell. Doesn't matter which one. Nine of those ten are iron-clad, but one of those links is made out of paper, construction paper. If you hold on, nine of them are made out of iron and one of you break, it's like construction, but you fall. Because breaking the law in any of the 10 makes you what's called a law breaker. The law only proves that you can't keep them. That's all they prove is that you can't keep them. The third subpoint, and most importantly, the law channels us to Jesus Christ. That's what the law does. It funnels us, leads us. It's like a schoolmaster that points us to Jesus. Galatians 3, verse 24 says, So the law, the Old Testament, was put in charge for one reason, to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. You see, Jesus was unorthodox in the way that he came to save because most people believe that you're saved by doing good works, by obeying the law. Jesus came to fulfill that law and that anyone who puts their faith in him, it's not doing good works, it's by putting faith in Christ is what saves. I want you to look at Romans 10 verse 4. It says that Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Oh, that's, that's unorthodox. I'm telling you, the Old Testament for years and centuries and really every major religion in the world 
people are saved by doing good deeds. They're saved by doing good works. Jesus comes along and he dies on that cross. And at the end of his life, right before he dies, his last words, he says, it is finished. What he meant by saying it is finished, what he is saying is that I I have met every demand of the law. If Jesus had not followed the law, he would not have been the perfect sacrifice, but he had never sinned, not a single time did Jesus ever break the law, ever. He's the only sinless person who's ever walked on the face of this earth. So that when he goes to the cross and he dies and he says, it is finished, he's saying from now on, no one is saved by obeying the law. From this point forward, people are saved by putting their faith and trust in me. Oh, he was unorthodox in his teaching. He was unorthodox in the disciples that he chose. He was unorthodox in how he came to save. Think about, think about this. Think about this. Jesus died so that you could live. Most rulers, most kings would have you die so they could live. But Jesus dies so that you can live and so that I can live. We'll talk more about his death next week, but I want to close by reading three verses of Scripture, all right? Hebrews 7, uh, verse 27 It says these words, unlike unlike the other high priest, he does not, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day after day. All the other high priest had to offer sacrifices for themselves, and then they made sacrifices on behalf of people. The Bible says that unlike the other priest, high priest, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First, for his own sin, because he didn't have any sin. And then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. And what that means is that all of us have sinned. All of us have broken the law. That cannot save. That, that We find ourselves condemned and lost and separated from God. And Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay the sacrifice. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, actually going to lay my life down. I, I'm going to die once for, I'm going to lay my life down so that you no longer have to follow all that law stuff. You just got to come and put your faith and trust in Jesus. And then Hebrews 9, verse 27, these are the last two verses I'll read. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment every one of us every one of us listen to me every one of us is going to die every single one of us is going to die from something and after we die we're going to face the judgment but verse 28 says so christ everybody say christ christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And I hope today as we wrap up this message that if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, that you would realize that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament Scriptures, that he is in fact the Messiah, He's the Christ. 
He's the son of the living God. But the purpose of all that law, all that stuff that we can never keep, that stuff that only finds us guilty and condemned, all of it was meant to point us to one who saves, which is Jesus Christ when he went to the cross. And there he died for your sins and mine. So that if anybody just believes in him, we shall not perish, but we will have everlasting life. Amen and amen. I just want to pray a prayer for you and pray a prayer for our city and pray a prayer for what's going on in our world today. If you would please bow your head. God, we come to you today. We thank you for church online. We thank you for the fact that we don't have three campuses. We probably have 5,000 campuses uh, on this Sunday. And really, that's how the church began, just a handful of people meeting in a home, studying the scriptures, worshiping, praying, taking communion, giving a gift, an offering. And yet those people in that house received a burden for their neighbor and their neighbor's neighbor, and one house would reach another house, and that's how the early church grew. And Lord, maybe you're doing that today. Uh, All across this country, there are those uh, who are scared, they're afraid, they don't know what's going on, Uh, many people are panicking, they don't know what tomorrow holds, but God, we know who holds tomorrow. And as your sons and your daughters and people of faith, we have nothing to worry, nothing to be fearful about. We just need to know, God, that you hold us in your arms and you hold us close to your heart. And as the Bible says, you will never leave and you will never forsake us. Lord, I want to pray for every person who's listening. If there's anyone who's never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, if there's anyone here who's fearful because they they don't know what tomorrow holds, I pray that they would put their faith and trust in the only one who can save. And Lord, I pray again for all the nurses and the doctors that are on the front lines. We ask God that you would be with all the people, the medical people that are in the medical field working in the hospitals. And so I pray for your protection. I pray for everyone who's listening that you would keep that virus out of our houses and out of our homes and out of our lives. Lord, we pray for your removal of this virus. Lord, we know that in your name and by the power of your name that you can cause this thing to cease. And I pray for those who are working for a solution. But God, I pray to you, being the Lord God on high, that you would protect our homes and protect our families and protect our loved ones and protect our city and protect our neighborhoods and protect this country and this world. I don't know how long this is going to continue, but I pray that every day it will be another day for us as believers to put our faith and trust in you. And as our president has called for us this day to have a day of prayer, I pray that every family will just continue to pray, continue to cry out to you, O God, that we would continue to humble ourselves before you, that God, that you would hear our prayers, that you would forgive us of our sins, and that you would heal our land. We pray that in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. If you were blessed by Pastor Dudley's message and would like to pray with someone, our phone lines are available now and ready for your call. Our number is easy to remember. Call us right now at 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. 
Our Lift Up Jesus phone counselors are ready for any prayer needs you may have at this time. If you would like more information about Pastor Dudley Rutherford, Shepherd Church, or this ministry, be sure to visit our website, liftupjesus.com. We know as Christians, our relationship with Jesus is a daily commitment, and not just something we do on the weekends. We believe we have the perfect gift today to help you maintain your daily connection to our Lord for the coming year. Romancing Royalty is a daily devotional book designed to draw you closer to King Jesus with 365 inspirational stories, scriptures, prayers, study questions, and even a place to journal. There are more than 100 contributors to this book, including Greg Laurie, the late John Wooden, Tony Campolo, Jack Hayford, and Jim Garlow, just to name a few. We know this daily devotional will be a blessing to you. Pastor Dudley's top-selling daily devotional, Romancing Royalty, is available right now for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. Romancing Royalty can be yours by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. Our number again is 888-818-4777. You can also order Romancing Royalty directly from our website, liftupjesus.com. That address again is liftupjesus.com. We invite you to call and get your copy of Pastor Dudley's daily devotional, Romancing Royalty, today. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us again tomorrow night at the same time here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. Pastor Dudley.